0: everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode of Finding Peaks. My name is Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer for Peaks Recovery Center. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Dare to Lead and leadership principles and how to uh, implement those uh, values and the Dare to Lead training aspects within two organizations uh, to make us the healthiest possible organization at the end of the day on behalf of both our patients and our um, employees at the end of the day. And I think the Dare to Lead principles, not just for behavioral health, they work for any industry and any business of any type, period. And I think that's the Bernay Brown promise. Uh, so without further ado, I'd love to invite in our special guest, Maeve O'Neill, and we'll get right into it. All right, well, <clears throat> Maeve, thank you so much for joining us here today and grateful to have you on. Uh, you know, not stated in the introduction, you know, we've known you for quite some time. Start. I think going back five or six years ago, you were initially our Joint Commission uh, rep, no longer with the Joint Commission in these types of things. But that was kind of our introduction together, and certainly over the past, you know, several years, we've gotten to know each other in, um, in the variety of ways that you've been working throughout the industry. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, just grateful to continue to be in relationship with you. Uh, I think you've provided a lot of strength for our programming, a lot of insights, and confidence at times when, you know, whether it's a panic text message or a phone call, you know, to you, you know, reminding us that we're doing a good job and that hey, these things happen. And um, so grateful to finally, we're not just finally, but to arrive at a moment where we can have a general discussion about you know, dare to lead and what this means within an approach to leadership and what it means for work environments and how we might be able to just support other companies out there who maybe struggle within, you know, uh, employee retention and, you know, uh, AMAs and all of these things that can follow when we aren't uh, sort of rumbling in the vulnerability sense of things. So, but before we dive in, I just wanted to you know check in with you and see if there's anything else you want to cover color in about your you know your your 30 years of extraordinary experience in this industry and we'll we'll just we'll go from there.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be in this space with you and Jason today. I wish I was there on that couch. I would give you guys a hug. So you know, virtually but so glad to be here. I've been watching these episodes and enjoying them. So so excited to join you. Um, I totally agree with you. I think it's I've been in this field my whole adult career. 35 years and it's hard to find folks like you guys who are really doing a mission doing the hard work every day and yet still identify the need to keep improving you know a lot of us think we've got it and we're good and we don't want any help or guidance and then there's ones who really don't know what they're doing, I guess, and maybe don't realize they don't know what they're doing. Um, so I love the ones that kind of say, you know, we want to do better. We want to improve and we need help to do that. And obviously, there's a lot of uh, performance improvement or quality stuff that we can do out there. Uh, you mentioned Dare to Lead. When I was trained in Brene Brown's work, it's probably been, gosh, 2017, uh, no, 15, I guess. Um, a lot of years ago, it changed my every way how I view myself my world as a parent certainly the work that I do so to me it's I love bringing it to folks like you who who see the value in it and then use it to make it better for yourselves for your staff which then ultimately I think makes it better for your patients
0: yeah yeah and I appreciate that so much you know when I you know seeing it as a value set I remember being in that training and you said something like what would it be like to walk into work and this is for all of our employees watching at home on this, right, this is before Brandon Burns is CEO, so I'm a a bit ignorant to leadership at this standpoint, but you asked the question, what would it be like to walk into work and assume that everybody's trying their hardest? And I was like, no way, (laughs) there is no way everybody's trying their hardest at the end of every day because, you know, uh, it just wasn't like my general experience and I was never like trained in leadership and, You know, it always, I think at the time, um, more to that point, um, you know, maybe I was just speaking from my own personal, you know, viewpoint, right, that not everybody is coming into work passionately filled to fulfill the mission and vision statements at the end of the day. And so, um, you know, I just remember that off the top of my head and just wanted to speak to it, because when you get into these leadership uh, trainings, and especially something like Dare to Lead, where we're talking about, you know things that feel I don't know hooey like a vulnerability type thing you know to people not in you know invested in Brene Brown's research and these types of things it can be hard to arrive at like is this really going to work is this what's going to lead to the cultural value set that keeps our employees intact keeps them thriving keeps us moving forward as a company and uh, so, uh, so it's challenging. But yeah. for the viewers out there today, we're gonna make you so certain that this is the way to go and the way to take things because not only have we adopted it, you know, as a, not, a, not just as a treatment program, but as a leadership team, um, but it continues to work for us and work on behalf of our employees. So with that, in the Dare to Lead text, right, we're talking about something like vulnerability, right, and shame and these types of aspects. Um, and uh, in Brene Brown's words, we need to trust to be vulnerable, and we need to be vulnerable in order to build trust. And so there's sort of a, a dichotomous thing happening there, potentially even a paradox, right? How do you get one before the other, or chicken and the egg type thing? And so, you know, from your perspective, um, you know, help the viewers out there understand what we mean about vulnerability and how we are actually seeking to um achieve vulnerability within organizations yeah so much there to talk about
1: when i i want to say i remember your face in that meeting that we had i remember looking around the room and i think jason was believing me he was like yeah, yeah I, get it. I think maybe it was like yeah it. your face was like mm, i don't know maybe i don't think i'm there yet and I remember being like oh wow okay we got some work to do here so that i think is vulnerability right when we admit maybe i don't have all the answers. Maybe I don't know if I agree with this things in front of me. I too was a young leader. I was probably in my early 20s when I started supervising people with no guidance or really knowledge of how to do it or how to do it well. I think I was fortunate when I first got into the field, I had some pretty great mentors and teachers early on. So I tried to sort of just copy what I thought they did or did well. And then like most of us, I got into some situations where I didn't have great teachers or leaders or mentors and was told, don't do that, stop doing this, do this different. So I was like, oh, I'm not sure what to do. Um, So I feel like I made a lot of mistakes in my early, I would call it management, because really it wasn't leadership. It was sort of the opposite of uh, good leadership. and I wasn't vulnerable. I thought, well, I am have this job and I have this job title, so I must be <laughs> a manager and leader uh, without the skills. So I'm just going to kind of wing it. And in that, I think you, you do some damage um, to ourselves because we don't know why it's not working. Why is, aren't people listening? Why aren't people you know, liking me, uh, why isn't yeah. the, the 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 program doing well? And then I think uh, so that's vulnerability those kind of admitting maybe we don't have all the answers, even if we have education and training or we have a certain job title. I, I think leadership is one of those things I compare a lot to parenting or relationship. We never have it a hundred percent right. <laughs> you know, yeah. we are going to screw it up and probably screw it up more than we do it well. Leadership is hard, so acknowledging that and i wish early on someone would have told me you're the way but you're going to need some help you're going to need some skills and here's where to go i remember reading every book i could get on uh, management or leadership or whatever it was and thinking well okay i get i i'm not sure how to do that or that doesn't fit for me i never quite found the right thing until i found Brene brown's work and it was probably just a combination of all of my failings as a leader Mm -hmm. (laughs) that i ready to maybe I was more open to it. Maybe it was um I just had the right time and space in my head and heart that it resonated for me. It doesn't resonate for everybody and that's okay. Um but it's the only l- research based leadership program that I know that um forces you to, to kind of look at yourself first. You know, as you were saying the curriculum since you guys did it we've actually added eight hours into the training so now it's a total of, of 24 hours. I don't remember what it was it's still 16 at that point, but there's a lot more work sort of digging deep into our own beliefs and biases and kind of h- how we are and how we show up in the world. So that vulnerability piece, without that, we don't go anywhere. We've got to get that vulnerability, which I think really is, as Brene defines it, uncertainty, risk and emotional exposure. <laughs> Who wants to sign up for that? Right. But I will say you guys did it so beautifully in our time together. I, I, I know that um, there was a lot of... Uh, People come to these things kind of thinking it's gonna be an academic exercise. We quickly go, oh gosh, this is really a heart exercise and it's not always easy to do that work.
0: Yeah, eventually we were sharing tears together, right?
2: Yeah, I think we were eventually. And I I really, you know, Maeve, I was excited to talk to you today because we really, um, and I don't wanna steal any thunder from you, Brandon, but like we've really incorporated a lot of the Brene Brown into um, our culture. Um, we have a we have an office, kind of a shared uh, workspace for our clinical team, and we literally call it the arena um, because it's it's designed to be a space where we can all be uh, real. And I was actually thinking of you yesterday because I had a meeting with our clinical leadership team, and it went a solid two hours, and it was uh, rumbling for at least 90 minutes of that. And uh, um, and to just be able to confidently lean into that. Like I I remember thinking at one point, like, this is scary. It's hard to be in that space where like, as a leader, I'm being vulnerable. And like, this is, um, I'm noticing myself getting defensive. And I think here is why, and here's where I think think that's coming from. And um, there's this exposure, but out the back end of that, um, I think the reward gets to be like a team that's connected and that fractures have been addressed. and safety's kind of restored to it, maybe not restored, but just enhanced, maybe uh, to a team, and um, that that stems specifically from uh, the Dare to Lead training that you provided us. Uh, a couple I years
1: loved, ago. I love, I love how different people bring the concepts to life, and that's a great um, idea to say okay, this is our arena space. This is where we do the rumbling. We're not going to do it in, in the hallways or in everyone's office or only in Jason's office. We're going to do it in this space. where maybe we have certain lighting or certain seating or maybe there's, you know, that my heart room concept where it's a safe place to actually be. Um And we walk in the room and all of a sudden maybe where our heads and hearts are more available there than they are where a client might walk by or where we eat lunch, whatever it is. I love the idea that this is the space where we do this in and um, it's sort of like that idea of creating that that container of safety that when we enter this space it is going to take time and it is going to be hard and we're going to um, honor that and not avoid it um, but it's going to be that sacred time and space that's beautiful I love that
2: yeah
0: yeah and th- and thank you for bringing that in Jason because I think that's <clears throat> so important and and also what I find to be beautiful about Brene Brown's work is that she's she's researching this right she's coming at it from an academic approach and when i got my ceo hat on you know three three years ago now uh in this regard i I started reading all these leadership books and whether it's you know patrick Lincioni and the advantage for example or jim collins and the flywheel concepts and all of these great leadership books that were written they have so many commonalities that match what Brene brown was researching in the background and so there was this my experience was there's this real world fundamental experience of vulnerability without using the word and the real world experience of living in values without using Brene Brown text and so it was really cool to see somebody come out with that research approach to match all of the anecdotal evidence of what is leadership versus as you said something like management and uh, curious in in kind of your career path and maybe other texts you've read if you're seeing Um, if you're seeing that play through as well, too.
1: Yes, it's so funny. We just, I think it was yesterday, got an email from Brene as certified facilitators. And, you know, we've been having this data collected because every time we do a session like your session, we collect data, we collect information. We sort of, um, you guys do a survey after and you say what we liked or we didn't like. We don't like that part. Maybe didn't seem to help us over here. You know, that's really good feedback. And we use that feedback. And she looks at that feedback and, so she's having us answer all these questions. And one of the questions is actually around like the arena. Is the arena a good concept? Should we change it? What should we do? So we get to go back and say, yeah, people like it. They don't like this. So not only is she the research done, it keeps evolving and it keeps mm-hmm. growing based on our interactions with folks like you guys. So I think there's, I don't know, tens of thousands of data points now that she's looking at to say, okay, how do we improve it for the next round, for the next uh, curriculum updates too? It's not like it's was written five, 10 years ago, and it's just gonna be that way. It's gonna keep evolving and getting better based on on the results that people are getting. Um, so I, it's funny, so she's really inspired me, obviously, to be a better leader. And one of the things that I've done is I've entered a doctoral program in, in leadership. Nice. So I started it last in the fall in September and the first leadership book in, that was in of our textbook mentioned Brene. And I was so excited, like, okay, good. So we're not a completely different planet over here. Um, so I was excited about that. And it is so much of her work just takes all those previous research by um, sort of, I guess, Projects, beliefs, and I think just brought it to a place where the language is a little more understandable. I feel like her gift is really that language and simplifying things that normal people like us. It's not have to be someone academic setting or, right. um, you know, a PhD and in, in organization management. It really is for everyone just to kind of take a look at ourselves and and I think she layers it with a bit of just a little more humanity side of it that this is hard and and it mm-hmm. is difficult and it's not for everyone, you know, not everyone really should be a leader or maybe we should be, but then we should take a step away if something's going on in our lives and that's okay too. So I think it's that awareness, that constant awareness of what I love about her too, is it's it's the four skill sets. So you're really clear day and day out. Am I doing all four? I'm doing these pretty good, but this one I'm kind of struggling with or I got these two rocking, but these two I need help with, you know, whereas everything else that I've read in leadership and all my textbooks so far, it just feels like a lot. It's if you do all these things all the time or it's just one thing like just do this, just execute or just communicate or trust people but really it's to me it's this daily like how inventory almost of did i do these things and if not here's where i can get better at them so to me i guess for me it makes it simple i'm a very visual person Mm -hmm. so it works for me in that regard
0: yeah love it um and and so you know leaders in a way have to model vulnerability right if you're going to build trust and you can't demand vulnerability show up and be vulnerable go but i want to you know just share it because you know Jason and I and our, our chief operating it was an operational meeting, and we got probably you know roughly 15 staff, directors, chiefs, all these people, we come together, we talk about operations. I'm rarely in that meeting, but for whatever reason, uh, you know the good Lord invited me in in mysterious ways now I'm a part of this moment of vulnerability, but we had one of our a couple staff members, and for the viewers out there, this is vulnerability and I can imagine in some work environments, it's like, how dare you get out of this office right now for stating that so openly. But these two particular staff members are really important uh, staff members for our organization in all of the work they do. And they had highlighted in that meeting, they said, look, we're right now in this moment, we're losing our passion. We don't know if we can move forward at this pace in the way that we've been able to. And in that moment, right, uh, you know, we have developed a company culture that allows for that vulnerability to come forward and to state it. And it's important that it's stated. And it's it's also important how we respond to it. Because you have everybody else like, okay, is this the moment where you know leadership goes to the cheap seats in the arena, and doesn't allow people to actually participate in that? But for the viewers out there, that is like one of the most beautiful moments of vulnerability that you get because you have something to work with, right? You don't have an employee going out in the backdrop, looking for another job, and those types of things. They're saying, look, I'm having an issue in this moment, and let's move through it together. And literally after it was conveyed and we walked through it about five days later, uh, uh, that was on a Thursday, the following like Tuesday, that employee, those, both those employees were kind of back, like re-energized, ready to go, thanks for listening to me, and that type of thing. So something that can be so challenging, or for maybe some employees out there think, I would never say that in front of my bosses or any leadership team or whatever, um, I just want to, you know, kind of highlight that as the moment of, you know, vulnerability and then, you know, hear from you in this regard, Maeve, kind of what, what you're hearing from that moment. Is it a misstep in vulnerability where we being too vulnerable with each other or is that about right size and what you want within a, an organization that's operating within these dare to lead principles?
1: Mm, such a well i think that example is a perfect example of why most people don't do this and don't want to do it because when we are vulnerable and we allow others to be vulnerable it is uncomfortable right we're we're not always going to hear oh we like you and we love working here and everything's great and you know people are going to come to you and tell you "Uh, that i don't like that Maeve. i'm not going to do that or i won't do that or here's what the problem is or um I'm struggling with so-and-so and and can, you know, I need help with this. Or if you don't do this, I'm going to leave. You know, those things are going to happen. Like you said, those things are already happening right Mm -hmm. there. We all know that the side office conversation, the gossip, the, the after the meeting meetings, the, the phone calls, the things that happen, they're going to happen. So to me, when you create a space that people bring that to the open, it takes a lot of work to get there it takes a lot of effort ongoing effort but once you're there you can you can know you you know about it you're aware that you're hearing it at some point at least if it's if and i think some people just want don't want to hear it right they'd rather not hear that people have issues or concerns um i've certainly worked with people who said well we give them a paycheck what more do they want you know we don't really need to listen to them um they do the work that we tell them to do. And that's all we really wanted them to do. We don't want to be challenged or questioned or, or certainly um, asked to be more than, you know, there's a, yeah. most leaders do not want to be vulnerable and, and they're terrified of it, I think. So, and that's what Brene found in in the research was that, um, you know, we armor up as leaders because we don't want to be vulnerable. It's, um, we're going to find fault somewhere else, or we're going to blame another Area or it's too scary to be vulnerable, so we're just not going to do it. We're just going to refuse to. So I love that, and I think when you do that, it's like that. It's like the having a child coming to you and asking for that, that safety. Am I going to be safe here? Asking this question or this behavior. You know, um those of us that are parents can relate to those tests. You know, do we pass mm-hmm. the test? So each time it's an opportunity to kind of say, Yep, yeah, even if I don't get it right, I'm going to try here to be vulnerable. I'm going to try to to listen and 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 respond and get your feedback. And even if the answer is no, or not what they want, the fact that they've been heard and listened to is huge, right? That's how we get to safety.
2: Yeah. I, I, as you're talking to I'm reminded I, I, this is where I flex a little bit, that I actually went to a Brene Brown training at Naropa University up in <laughs> Boulder uh, back in 2012. And it was a two day training, um, I think I can I think it was uh, daring greatly was her book that was out at, at about that time and um and she was just recording it there was like 60 of us in the room but one of the things I remember her saying is that she had like a ring that had like uh, a layer that she could twist and she would constantly say like choose courage over comfort something like that and um and that stuck with me cuz um it's such a clever reminder um to your point that like it it takes a tremendous amount of courage um which is uncomfortable it's like leaning into that fear it's not courage of course is not being fearless it's being fearful but doing it anyway I think and um and I really think uh that that part sticks out to me because it is such a uh cornerstone I think to how I approach leadership I think is like let's have the hard conversation because the outcome is so much better than uh kind of being comfortable uh and safe, um, while maybe the whole team is carrying a lack of safety. I guess so that's that's kind of how I view it on, on on our team.
1: Oh, I love that, and, and you know, as a clinician, Brene does this work in Fortune 500 companies, and the military, and Disney, and you know, all Pixar, all these wonderful huge corporate places, which I think is great, and and they're seeing the the results and and the profits because of that. But, in behavioral health, I don't see how we cannot do this when right. when our patients come to us, they're they have to be vulnerable, right? They don't get to complete treatment or or successfully stay sober, regain recovery if they don't have a vulnerability place. And I think it's almost odd to to think we can get them there if we've not gotten there before. and I I, I would almost venture to take the risk to say the problem in our outcomes in our field is because most of us are not there. Most behavioral health organizations are not vulnerable uh, with their staff, with their patients. Absolutely. We do great clinical work sometimes. We do amazing transformations. Uh, as a behavioral health organization, I think it's it's we have to find something. And not, if not everyone wants to dare to lead, find something that we know we are giving to our staff, that core skill set that then makes them able to do it with their patients, not just out of good clinical skills or, you know, really hard driving work, but actually kind of who they are in the space can be more transformative than any license or credential that we have, I think.
2: Well, I think, you know, from a systems perspective, Maeve, like I don't think, I think if patients are receiving good clinical care, but like there's dysfunction at the, you know, clinical levels or or other levels and even leadership levels. It there's no way it doesn't trickle down. Like, mm-hmm. how many clients come to our program? Maybe you know, being adult children of alcoholics or something, just super attuned to what's going on around them. If you know, if they have trauma or whatever, they're gonna they're gonna read the room. And um, I knew we were on the right track when we would have clients coming up to clinicians and other staff members and saying. Um, this place is kind of weird. It seems like you guys all really like each other and like being here. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and it's just true. Uh, we do, I think we, we hire good people that um, are dedicated and work hard and are willing uh, to embrace kind of our core values, uh, one of which is to live in the arena. And I think, um, and I think that just permeates, to, it provides an integrity. If we're functioning well from the leadership team, it'll translate to the teams across the organization. And then it just makes our client care uh, have integrity, I guess, from top to bottom of our organization. I think that's
1: that. I think when we actually recognize that our patients are come to us with the gifts of wholeheartedness, they often are the bravest people, I think, in, in the world. The fact that they you know, went down the road of addiction and then seek recovery, they're so much braver than most of us in life, right? You kind of avoid all those things. Mm-hmm. Come to us, and they see our functioning in our organizations. I think they do. it and they can see it. They can smell it. They can feel it. They don't recognize what it is. They sense the 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 conflict, that the the toxicity, the the poor communication. We always would hear from patients, or you know, you don't communicate, you guys. Um, you know, there, there's no consistency between the shifts, you know? And, and I kind of at the time, I remember I would kind of drive home consistency or communication, but I, I didn't know at the time what they were saying was they knew we weren't functional. <laughs> they knew <laughs> we, we were not a happy and healthy team and they didn't have the words for it and we weren't acknowledging it, but they were telling us, you guys are not well, you know? So we would fix the schedule or we would fix this or more snacks or, but we completely missed the boat. what they were telling us was, this is not a safe place for me because you guys are not okay. Um, so I, I I regret that we weren't at the time seeing those things, but I think they do see it. And I think if we look at our data, look at our this comments they make, and actually look at it, we might see that oh, if we addressed our stuff better, our patients would actually do better.
0: Absolutely, and and I and I think that brings us to this kind of moment uh, moment maybe within you know the potential you know paradox dichotomous relationship here that we formed around trust and vulnerability, we can see what it means to you know, rumble with vulnerability when an employee comes in and says, hey, I'm struggling at home because I just had this situation happen, my loved one passed away, and now I'm coming to work and I'm uninspired or I'm coming into work and I feel burnt to a crisp, right? Uh, these are vulnerability moments. It's not like, hey, I'm at home and then you're gonna go into an exhaustive list of all of the features of it. You're just bringing to light that there are two challenges Um, And they don't always have to be on personal and professional side. It could just be challenges on the professional side and not all the ins and outs of it, but just enough forward to say I'm challenged and I'm curious um, about resources that can support me as an individual um, and as a team moving forward. And so leaning into that sort of trust aspect to build upon these moments, right? Um, So, you know, Brene Brown says, without clear operationalized values to start from, there is not thoughtfulness. Not having clearly defined values can lead to a paralysis and impulsive decision making. A brave leader is never silent about hard things. A value is a way of believing that we hold as important, or believing that we hold as important. It reminds us why we went into a tough situation in the first place. And my experience of values, because it's so easy to highlight values and say, oh yeah, we're gonna live in the arena because we did the Brene Brown training thing. Go, slap it on the wall. And then to literally not do it and just point at, to it as a nicety and be like, well, you're not living in the arena, right? And for me, values are the glue to everything that happens within an organization. If we are going to expand services, it's expanding services under those values. We cannot get into expansion mode without the values intact with that. Otherwise, our staff will experience um, a lack of... Um, I don't know, consistency at the level of leadership. And so, but when we lean into our values as an effort to expand, for example, our mission is to save lives and we might say something about an expansion. Hey, we've done really good at servicing, you know, 30 inpatient beds. Now we have this opportunity to expand the mission to 20 beds to save more lives in the process. Um, But none of this expansion is possible if we don't lean into these value systems. And to me, it's like, uh, you know, and I want to hear your feedback on it, but it's it's like the guiding post that allows trust to build. Oh, they are expanding, but not against you know more work for us. They are doing it within the value system, and we experience that. Oh, and look, and they're adding more employees to match the expansion, and this type of things, and it feels like it's a it's a an incredible way to build trust within an organization and to keep consistency within it. And without it, like I don't even know where we would be as Peaks Recovery Centers if we didn't have that consistency to say, no, I'm speaking from the one team, one shift value, or I'm speaking from the value of curiosity right now in relationship to how we're gonna expand those types of things. And just hopefully you can co- color that in a little bit more from your experiences and your, um, you know, your, your, your experiences through these training opportunities.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important. As Brene says in in the training, no cat posters, right? Values can't just look good on a slogan or we borrowed them from all the other handbooks that we've had. The values really have to be something that we're willing to live and breathe every day, right? Um, If we have a a value for, um, I don't know, caring and then we treat people in an uncaring way we yell at someone or we you know get angry at someone or don't respond to someone's email that's not caring well then maybe that shouldn't be our value right it's really got to be we're willing to do this day in and day out and when we don't do it to fix it to address it because we're not always going to be perfect but when we have the four skill sets when you have vulnerability as a foundation you're doing it then the next thing is values we're clear about our values and then trust we're building trust by living the values mm-hmm. and the rising is when you mess it up and you <laughs> come back and say, so, "Oh, sorry i didn't live that value last week for whatever reason here's how i want to get back on track with it or how can i get back on track with it i think the value has really become, it's sort of like a job description or a, a competency base of, okay, we're going to live these things and we're going to maybe add to it. Maybe we're going to um, get better at it. Maybe we're going to say, you know, this one's sort of we've outgrown this value, you know, maybe it's honesty. And now we're honest. We know that let's add something more complicated to it because we know we're always honest now. Um, but the worst thing you can do is certainly have values that you don't live and people right. kind of, this is not safe because you say you do these things, but then we don't. And no one mentions it. And we're all kind of looking around going, um, geez, Maeve never does that, <laughs> but we're all acting like she does. And then we're recreating that the family environment where it's not safe. And, you know, the, the old school don't talk, don't trust, don't feel comes mm-hmm. in. Um, and then the gossip and the negativity and those things start to spread and, uh, people start looking for jobs. People start leaving or they just don't show up or they show up in a bad way. And, my my new mantra recently has been, and it really kind of speaks to the values pieces, happy and healthy staff are ethical and compliant to provide quality and safe care. And I don't think I always knew that you had to have all three of those. <laughs> I thought <that laughs> we're going to be quality and safe care. No matter how we get there, just do it. Uh, or let's be ethical compliant, but again, not sure how to get there or what that looks like. So we have to have all three of those and all three of those require the skill sets and the work to get there and to keep it because this doesn't just happen just because you've check off the four skill sets you know it really is that oh man i had it yesterday but today i don't have it Um, and that's where the vulnerability comes in of i need help today I, i i can't go to this meeting or i can't cover this or um if i mess this up how do i go back and say i'm sorry you know make a commitment to do better or ask the question you know did i hurt your feelings did i not live up to that value. And, and that's such a beautiful thing when it happens, but it's so rare that it feels uncomfortable, I think initially. And I imagine you guys had some, some rough spots as you got the arena room going and you did all those things, right? It's, it's so many reasons to tap out. So yeah. I'm always glad when people don't.
0: Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to, I think in the beginning to see confrontation as a positive thing. Uh, yeah. That it's not somebody fighting you, they're confronting something. So, just softening the word a little bit there, I think is imperative. And to Jason's point earlier, you know, integrity in Brene Brown's turn is choosing courage over comfort, it's choosing what is right over what is fun, fast, or easy, and choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them is what these value structures are and when we stop professing them and we start living them it's it's how we nurture trust within organizations and build that out as a foundation and you you know started talking about the next steps within the you know sort of dare to lead program braving trust is next and uh, within this model and you know Brene brown talks about in order to rumble we have to brave trust it's not an option and our willingness to rumble depends on it without trust it's impossible for vulnerability to exist. Your team needs to trust you and know that they have that you have their backs. And if they're going to perform to the best of their abilities, you need to make them feel comfortable and heard. And it, you know, I think this it takes me back to like the training episode, and it's one of those things you hear of like, well, that sounds like, you know, one of those professed statements, and like how do you possibly live that? And I know she has, you know, braving as the acronym, but um, she does talk about sort of the best building skill set is simply just asking for help and just hopeful that, you know, for our viewers out there, you can color in a little bit, maybe around your experiences around BRAVING as an acronym, but also, you know, the essence of what it means for a leader to ask for help um, and how that builds trust within organizations. Mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I love that. And that's where that vulnerability is the foundation, because I have to be willing to know how do I when I'm doing my best as a leader and I'm building trust, what does that look like? Maybe I'm listening. Maybe I'm asking good questions. Maybe I'm, um, getting to know my people maybe I'm taking the time to, to hit the floor and go around and, you know, observe people. I'm not just, you know, assuming I'm doing my work from a distance. So I'm, I'm, I'm connecting in all those areas. And, um, Once you've done that, then you can say to your team, here's what I do well. I think I do this well. I'm I'm, I'm gonna always hopefully listen to you. I'm going to take time for you when you're in my office. I'm not gonna be on my phone and I'm gonna pay attention to you. And if I don't do that, let me know, right? If I'm not doing that well. Um, And then when you build that and you allow them to also say, well, here's what I'm good at. Here's where I could use some help or let me know when I'm not doing that. I've had many examples of, of people i've had the privilege to work with who were so brave to say you know maybe i'm not good at uh, confrontation or i'm not good at communication or um don't like uh disagreement how can i get better at that or maybe they they get into a disagreement with someone and they say i don't know what i did wrong what did i what did i do what how kind of better and i just love those brave people that will come forward and say i'm struggling here so mm-hmm you can model that um one of the things i struggle with as a leader is sort of perfectionism Mm
2: -hmm. you know and i
1: think when i tell my team that i can get stuck in perfectionism i can become a micromanager if i'm get into that scarcity and fear place. You know, I'm going to, we're going to be in trouble or our team's not going to meet our goals. You know, I can get into that space. So tell me when I do, you know, mm-hmm. and I love when my team would say, Maeve, um, you're doing that again, you know, or that doesn't feel good. Or maybe we could take that off your plate. Let, let us do those things because you've, you've got enough to do over there, right? And we can sense your you're full right so if, if we know each when that trust is built you just know each other I think it's kind of like um when you have a partner that you're connected with you know if they're having a good day by the tone of their voice or how they walk in the room or you know their car pulls up in the driveway you're like oh it's one of those days right and <laughs> what if we put the same amount of effort into our um our work partners I there's a great um example uh, Bob Chapman Is the CEO of the Barry Wilhelm, Wilhelmer, I think it's called um, Mm -hmm. organization, and he tells his story about how he used to see his staff as you know, sort of parts of the, the the factory. (laughs) You know, they were just things that did a job until he went to a wedding of a family member and he, it hit him like, oh my gosh, this is my friend or my niece or whatever getting married. He goes, but, but that's every one of my staff members. They're each someone's daughter, niece, wife sister, he said, I've not been treating them that way. I've not loved them that way, right? They've just been part of the process that gets the job done. And it changed his entire view. And he's got a couple of great books out there about just bringing love to the workplace and, and creating a whole organization that is based actually on loving each other, mm-hmm. loving our staff. Um, but with braving, we would have boundaries. You don't, you know, it's not inappropriate and right. it's not scary. It's, it's with boundaries and people are still um, safe, but letting when people feel like they belong and they're cared for, it's a very different environment than when they're just to do a job.
0: Definitely. Yeah, and I think to tie up that braving trust, right? Daring leaders work to make sure people can be themselves and feel a sense of belonging. If I feel like I'm a part of something, you know, greater than myself or something that's nurturing on behalf of me, uh, at the end of the day, I'm far more likely to show up in the best version of myself, and in honesty, and I think ultimately as well too, in these kind of the truth-building mechanisms, what I, you know, what I would love for the viewers to hear out there, and our collective experiences, uh, not just in your work environments, maybe, but certainly ours here at Peaks, um, that when that belongingness is created, um, you, we move away from the water cooler discussions, we move away from those sideways discussions, and those can fester either way that information is going to come across your desk, right? It's going to come across, hey, I overheard somebody talking about this at the water cooler, or they're going to come right in your office and tell you. And for me as a leader, and I know it's probably Jason as well, and your experience as well, Maeve, I would rather just have them come in and talk to us and be forward with us and frank uh, of their situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But again, that's scary and it's hard. And then what do you do with it? Then you have to do something with it it's not like you can say well thanks very much and, and <laughs>
0: right uh, that yeah. might
1: make it worse so it does create then some work you have to do um and i think i like you early on was thinking if i do this i'm just going to have a bunch of you know kind of needy people and i'm going to be loving them and vulnerable with them and there's going to be sort of no structure or no accountability but when you do the actual program consistently what i have found is i was really wrong about that people I'm- work harder, they, they step up more, you know, when they, they call me and say, I need some time off to do whatever it is. Whereas before I'd probably would have been like, well, you know, got to get this thing done. Now they'll be like, they want to, to contribute more. I think they want to work harder. People don't, that's the whole generosity, right? The, the G in braving is generosity. People mm-hmm. are doing the best they can. And when they are safe and they are, Feeling like they're part of this, they're going to work harder for you. It's not going to become a loosey goosey, stays home all the time and eats some, you know, cookies on the couch. Everyone wants to do a good job, so it's it's been fascinating how wrong I was about it. Thinking everyone's just going to take advantage of me because I'm being vulnerable at night. You know, I'm supposed to be tough and hard, and um, but the opposite actually happens when people feel loved and cared for. They actually perform better
0: yeah and and vulnerability and leadership too for the viewers out there and anybody like thinking this is not going to be effective vulnerability and leadership is something like hey i just i brought you into the office today just to have a conversation because it doesn't feel like you're showing up in the best version of yourself doesn't feel like you are performing at the level that i know you have the skill sets to do so so like what is going on right so it it stops the punitive consequential process of calling somebody out, but inviting them into the process. And through that vulnerability, we get a lot further in the discussion than we would if we came in with an intensity or HR's in the room and that type of thing. And and of course, HR and all these things are gonna inevitably have to play their uncomfortable roles within any organizations. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think that we do less HR work when we have more vulnerability and involvement and that trust is established and that belongingness as an invite brings people forward so that we reduce that potential at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, but what I think, as Brene says too, is when you build this sort of workforce of people who are vulnerable and daring and, they're a little bit dangerous too because they're not going to tolerate a toxic person that comes in you may have experienced that as you kind of get this healthy team someone comes in and tries to do the usual gossip negativity and people will just like no we don't do that here or that's not who we are and that gets a little bit uncomfortable or people will be like i'm not working here like you know i've worked at places where maybe i see what you're doing and i get it but maybe the bigger organization or other parts of the place are not safe. So I'm out. I'm not going to do it. I need what you're talking about, but it's not not widespread enough or it's not consistent enough. It's only, you're the only one here that talks this way. If it's not everyone, it does make it difficult. So people will choose to leave because they know that's what they need and, and deserve as well. And Another great example out in the in the business world is Claude Silver. She's one of my my idols. She's the Chief heart Officer at vayner media um, and she's a traditional HR person. But really, her job is just to take care of people. And I had a discussion with her once, like, "Well, how do you handle when people, you know, it's not a fit or they don't do well?" And she said, well, "We just had that conversation, like you just said, we." talk about are you okay and if not i help them find another job i help them find where they're going to be themselves and be special you know you don't just send them out the door and say goodbye you take care of people even when they're leaving you know there's a yep. ways to do this work that so honors the humanity in all of us and i think we've we've lost sight of that a bit
0: yeah absolutely uh, dignity on all levels whether it's you know leadership or you know the an employee or whatever our titles are at the end of the day you know, we're people. And uh, having integrity and giving people dignity, even in the worst situations where an employee's being let go and that type of thing I think is imperative because they're now in a position to leave Indeed reviews or, you know, whatever on the other side of this, and you want them to walk away with something like, yeah, that was tough, that was difficult, I didn't like the outcome, but damn it, I still feel like they cared. Yes, Um, exactly. I, you know that, that invites us into this learning to rise concept on behalf of leadership. And I think that uh, both Jace and I uh, know what it's like to uh, stumble within organization, working at peaks, facing hurt, um, you know, especially in during the pandemic period, you know, we rolled through a lot of volatility uh, between directors and relationships and all that that was taking place. And Brene Brown says, daring leaders rise from getting up from their falls, overcoming their mistakes and facing hurt in a way that brings more wisdom and wholeheartedness into their lives. Um, and so, you know, we, we've been going through some things at Peaks, variety of different things. The tribes attacked on multiple fronts, but we're dealing with one of the massive insurers right now, and we're in tension, and it's leading to a variety of different things. And for all the hard experiences I've been through, this was a new one uh, for me. And you know, I kind of came into the team this week, and you know, kind of apologized because just recognizing vulnerably that I've been living in fear for like the past month as a leader within the organization, because this is a new hard landing. And I, I had no, you know, preparation for this moment. I thought all past moments would prepare me for this moment, and it didn't. And I arrived at probably, you know, vulnerably speaking, one of the worst moments for myself because I was acting out of fear right away rather than acting with like, okay, let's get the information right, let's make sure all the details in place, and then we'll approach it in this sort of way. And it is uh, an energy that came at a cost to the other leaders uh, in that regard, and they did a wonderful job about picking up, you know, that fear and running with it within an optimistic lens. But you know, for the sake of resiliency, how can you know through your lens, Mave? How do we prepare for hard landings uh, in this regard? Mm, what a great question.
1: Well, Brene teaches us in, in the in the curriculum that. Most of the world doesn't operate this way. You know what I mean. You're probably not going to find an insurance company that's going to be vulnerable with you and and you know live wholeheartedly. It's maybe not going to happen that way. Maybe down the road they will, but most of our landscape doesn't work this. Way. Recognizing that is important because we we sort of in, in your little bubble of peaks, you probably get used to it and this is how we operate. Then someone used to go and go. Oh wait, the world's not like this, right? The reality kind of uh, slaps you in the face. So I think it's a matter of this is where I like to piece of the resilience of the the mind and body and spirit that do we have practices it might be different for each person. For me, it's yoga and meditation and certain music that I love and my puppy and my kids regulating my heart when I hug them, you know, like whatever practices we have to to be prepared when we walk into those arenas that are not. Save that are not uh, you know kind of on the same page that we practice those things whether it's um nature or or working out or whatever it is that you do building up recognize i'm going to need this i got to fill up like my backpack of these things um and then recognize okay i'm in a regulated space and i can and then if your team is comfortable, it sounds like they were with you, which is say, Hey, you don't seem like you're yourself or you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you've done those things. Maybe you haven't hiked in a while. You've not worked out. You've not done the things that we know kind of fill you up. Um, then, that's a great place. So, yep, I need to take some time and that's a good way to model the whole thing is, oh, I need to, I need to take the afternoon off or someone else needs to cover for me. But I think that until we get to a place where this movement has sort of spread a little wider, um, scarcity is going to come in, fear is going to come in and we have to prep for it. Um, you know, my son is a, is a football player and he's such a great example to me of a lot of times in this work we just sort of do it we just show up and we do the work where i see him and his football team like they practice and they watch film and they do these drills and it's like it's such an intense thing and they prepare more for a football game than why work that i do in saving people's lives it's fast we just don't do enough prep work and practice and problem solving and then debriefing it. Okay, how do we do? Okay, we mm-hmm. did good. We did yeah. all right. Oh, Maeve, you missed that. You missed that thing. Or you said the wrong thing on that call. Or let's kind of break it down. And what that builds is this uh, ability, I think, to be resilient and to know we're going to come back from it. We're going to be okay. And we're going to do it together as a team. I, I just love that because I was not a sports person. So <laughs> I, I love that that's some an example for me
0: yeah absolutely. And I think that you know Brene, to color in a little bit more about the Brene and Brown side of it as well too, that you know leaders must pay attention to the stories we tell ourselves. And when we don't own our stories of failures, setbacks, and hurt, you know they own us at the end of the day. And I think that's a significant contribution to how to prepare for hard landings that hard landings are going to be failures at times. They are going to be shortcomings. They are going to be, hindsight moments of like, dang it, I see a year ago where I could have fixed this and now it's on my plate and God, I messed up and am I a good leader anymore and those types of things. And um, I I think for the viewers out there, if anything, I want them to hear that uh, leadership is given so much more back than just having to manage a situation. It allows for leaders to have grace for the decisions they make and the opportunities in front of them and to really know that it's okay at times to miss the mark and to not be perfect from concepts of perfectionism and those types of things. Oh yeah,
1: and I think it's those failure moments. I mean, as a clinician knows, it's it's those failure stories that are actually some of our best stories, right? If, yeah. if we don't fail, we, never, we don't get better. Um, and I think as, as, a, as a treatment world, we've gotten better at reframing failure or, or recurrence of substance use as not a failure, but as a, okay, let's, let's regroup. Let's see what you learn. What did you do? What would you do different? It actually makes us stronger when we fail, especially when we fail with the rising piece that we come back and we say, you know, we reckon with it. What did I do? What do I think? What did I feel? What did I, did I forget to do my yoga or meditation Did I forget to um, kind of own this piece? Um, so I think it's really cool when we can recognize a failure and, and you've probably all had those leaders who, you know, are going to, you know, maybe chastise you, or you're going to be in trouble or reprimand you, or the ones are going to put their arms around you and say, hey, you did one, you did your best, or at least you you tried, and we know you're going to get better next time. Like, it's okay, right? I think it's with the whole parenting thing as well. It, our kids have to know that it's okay to fall. No one is perfect. Um, and, and this work we do is certainly not perfect. So th- I think it's almost like you look forward to a failure because it gets us better. It gets us mm-hmm improve Uh, we don't always improve just when we're you know rocking and rolling and doing good with successes
0: yeah and i also think it's a great opportunity to highlight for you know employees as well too where it's appropriate that like i make mistakes too these thing events like this burn me to a crisp things like this have me losing passion at times Um, and also you know anchoring into that concept of resiliency allows us to uh, move forward and learn from it and talk about it but you know and kind of moving through this, you know, that aspect of finding the truth, right? And I'm grateful that I could bring up this, you know, insurance thing because, you know, to me at peak, sometimes as the CEO, I feel like, hey, we got to box Brandon out because sometimes he's going to deliver something that's too intense, and rightfully so. Sometimes I'll be on a tangent, and it can start with like, hey, I just want to talk about how the day is going. All of a sudden, I'm talking about insurance problems, right? And that's not always healthy for an organization, but. You know, Brene Brown, in this context, has this beautiful notion that clear is kind and unclear is unkind. And she says, you know, clear is kind. Difficult or awkward conversations are less difficult if you approach them with empathy and kindness. Be clear on what outcomes you expect and what delivery looks like. When you lead people, you owe them the truth. And uh, so, in talking about that insurance stuff, and I'm keeping it broad, you know, s- strokes here because uh, we're delivering information into the organization as is needed at this time, but. It feels like, no, this is it. We've built the arena, we've built the tribal culture, we've built the value systems. I should just be able to vomit, in a sense, like what is going on in transparency? But there is also a delicacy to it as well, too, and something that I'm always finding to be challenged because I I take some of our employees to be friends, not necessarily outside of work, but in relationship. But what I found at the end of the day is just because it's perceived that way doesn't mean it's actually true or that they're gonna be able to hear the things that are coming in. how do we navigate, you know, as leaders, this clear as kind and unclear as unkind without breaking the whole systems we sought to set up in the first place?
1: Oh, that's such a great question because it's it's funny, all of the concepts, vulnerability, you know, um, values, it can feel like it means like all or nothing. But I do believe that vulnerability doesn't mean I am always that way with everyone, you know, in all situations. It might mean, I, I strive to be vulnerable, but certain people, I might be less vulnerable with for their own good, for my own good, for whatever situation. And same thing with clarity. Clarity doesn't mean everyone gets to know everything all the time. Clarity means <laughs> we consider the the need to know and who needs to know what and when, knowing our job is to keep the safety and keep people feeling like they have a part in it. But clarity might be, hey, we've got this insurance thing going on it's stressing me out a bit. So if you, if you notice me not being, you know, my best, let me know. And I'll let you guys know as we go. Or I'd love to tell you guys everything. But if you don't want to know, that's okay, too. (laughs) Like, let me know. You don't want me to talk about it anymore. You know, that's, to me, that's the clarity is communicating, you know, the options, or it might be the clarity is, this is going on. It's a lot. You guys have enough going on. So I'm not going to burden you with it. But when and if it's time, and you want to know, let, I'm happy to do it. Right. So the clarity is sort of just here's the state of affairs. There's no secrets. There's no um dishonesty, hopefully. It's not like, oh yeah, we're good and fine. I mean, while they, you know, whatever's going on. So to me, clarity is just knowing we're doing what's best for everyone involved all the time. So it's clarity of mind and heart, not always information, I think. That's that's how I think of it. Like I, I never want to feel like I'm being dishonest or or keeping things from people they might want to know.
0: Absolutely. And it, you know, kind of the tail end of the finding the, you know, truth thing, and we'll dive into kind of the last concept here for less than perfect. But I think this is such a tremendous quote from Benet Brown that leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behaviors. And I think that is, just filled with truth with a capital T at the end of the day and work organizations and these types of things, if we don't lean into the fears and feelings that are going on on behalf of our employees, we're gonna spend an insufferable amount of time around the water cooler discussions and the displacement and the distractions and high turnover of employees and retention issues. And as Jason was talking about earlier, that filtering down to the patients and them going, I see what's going on here. This place is ineffective, it's disruptive, and I'm not receiving the care I was promised on the front end of treatment. And uh, so, before diving into the "less than perfect," um, that is, I think one of many inspirational quotes that she has, but a really effective and important one. And uh, would just love to hear your point of view on that quote.
1: It's, it's so true. And I look back and think all the time I did waste <laughs> all the time and energy and money wasted on either, you know, complaining about something or or deciding, you know, kind of who who's who was to blame or who the problem is or getting stuck in, it's because really, dearly, it's a shame resilience curriculum, right? Shame mm-hmm. is the problem we're trying to fix with this because shame um, does a lot of harm. We don't talk about it enough. We don't mention it. So shame drives a lot of bad leadership and a lot of bad behaviors just in life in general, I think. So for me, it means um, I'm going to invest the time ahead to get to know people, to understand them, to see where they're at in this skill set, build the skill set with them, manage all that uncomfortability and all that conversation. And I I would love it if you could almost capture, you know, if you do capture your your turnover or your burnout rate or your AMA rate or your, you know, uh, patients suing you or staff suing you because that happens, right? Things happen. Or, or <laughs> things Knock not happen. on
0: wood, not at peak so far, but yeah.
1: <laughs> That's a reality that, you yeah. know, the consequences when we don't do this work well. Um, and you mentioned like, you know, the Google reviews or people will go out and talk bad about you, the reputational damage that gets done when we don't take that time. So the dollar amount is hard to come by, and I'm in the ethics and compliance space where we our goal is to prevent problems, uh, not to wait till they happen. So it's hard to show the the return on that investment if we prevent the problem from happening and uh, dare to lead to me as a preventative curriculum we're going to prevent staff from burning out prevent them from from leaving or from leaving in a bad way uh that does damage to them or us or as an is as a field i think that's really important so if we can take the time invest the time and i even like to carve it out like on my calendar do i have time where i'm practicing dare to lead and If I have a team I'm working with, I'm going to actually do it every week with them. We're going to spend 30 minutes going through Dare to Lead. Um, At my last place, I took my whole team through that. It took 12 months. We did a half hour every um, week. So two hours a month. We got through it in 12 months. They're all Dare to Lead trained. And we just want to just chip away at it and chip away at it. That's such a better investment than sort of you know hustling or trying to pick up or you know fix all the problems um so i don't feel like i chase problems anymore i'm I'm part of the solution and contributing to the solution which feels a lot better use of time and energy
2: well if if i could add to that too i just this this point i think is so key and it can't be faked right like if you're going to tend to the fears and feelings uh of anybody, it can't be half-hearted. <laughs> it has to be. It has to have integrity to it, and it, it's a tricky thing. And um, nurturing and fostering our own value, and in hearing what our what our staff, and and eventually what our clients, and what other uh, people want to say, um, it's just important that the care is genuine and that we really are uh, wanting to lean in in that way. Um, you know, I think because uh, any. Any gap in that I think actually erodes, uh, erodes trust. And again, this is clear as kind, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's kind of the, the entire topic under this finding the truth, which is such a, a key element that I genuinely want to be attending to your, your concerns um, just out of my own integrity and out of my own care and concern for you
1: yeah i think yeah you're absolutely right and you can't you can't fake this stuff which is why most people don't do it (laughs) it (laughs) it's really hard to do it and do it intentionally or to do it consistently because it's, it's a lot of work it really is a lot of work and you know i came from a family with addiction and mental health issues so i knew when i had a family and kids i wanted to do it differently and better but it took me 10 or 20 more years to realize i should put the same energy into my workplace i thought work was different i thought a job was something you just did. And because you got the training or the education or you got the, you know, the title, you just go do it, but it takes just as much energy day in and day out to be who you want to be and contribute in a way that is true to all of this work. But yeah, it's, it's never easy. And I think there's days where I feel like, okay, what's the right thing to say here? What's the Brene Brown thing to say here? Or what's the, you know, and sometimes I don't, or um, or I, I feel like if I'm trying too hard to force it, then I'm not doing it real. So I, I like when I kind of catch myself and say, today's not day to do that because I'm not there today. And, and that's okay too. That's part of our own generosity towards ourselves is maybe a different day. I'll feel better able to approach this conversation.
0: Absolutely. And, then, and that's gonna bring us to our final bullet point here. And you know, for the readers out there as well, too, and the viewers, I mean, check out Dare to Lead, Dare to Lead training opportunities, especially at the leadership level within organizations. There's just an, uh, an incredible amount of value in this. Uh, but for you know, those out there who are like, man, this feels impossible to actually like live this, I think that's what this section is about, right? Great leaders are not perfect since you have to be vulnerable to be courageous, something that perfectionists fear the most. It is possible to have healthy drive for success without being a perfectionist though. You just have to take a chance and jump into life. And when you hear that, it's like, well, it's hard to connect with that. Just jump in, like what does that mean? You're kind of just leaving it to me. But I think what Brene Brown is really just trying to deliver here, there is no way to be perfect within you know, uh, living values, rumbling with vulnerability, braving truth, all of these types of things, because at the end of the day, we are imperfect individuals. And out of that, if we are truly being vulnerable, we have to recognize for ourselves that for as much as I believe I can deliver clear as kind and unclear as unkind and live within that value, you don't just get to, as I was stating, walk in and vomit what's going on at an administrative level into your team. Look, I'm just trying to be clear with you guys because I don't want to be unkind at the end of the day, but clarity can also be unkind in that regard. It can be disruptive to workflow, what they're experiencing, the weight that they don't need different, you know, the weight of our clinicians is different than the weight I carry and it rightfully should sort of be that way. Um, and uh, so, and, you know, are we, are we right sized here? Is that what she's trying to deliver in this less than perfect attitude? Because sometimes people see this concept of perfectionist and say, well, that's not what I am at the end of the day. But you know, if we're not perfectionists, then what are we? And how are we going to continue to be vulnerable uh in that regard? Because this isn't just for the perfectionist, right?
1: Absolutely. It's so true. There was a podcast recently that Brene did with um Simon Sinek, who obviously his work goes really well with hers and Adam Grant. And uh, and in it, Brene says, you know, the biggest thing here is we just have to acknowledge that we're not well. (laughs) We're not all well. And Mm -hmm. this is post-COVID, right? Because when you guys first went through the training, it was pre-COVID. So the world of COVID, I think, has changed everything, too, right? It's really a different level of all of us feeling safe, feeling comfortable, um, vulnerability as a whole. It's its a survival in some ways, right? I can be vulnerable, but I want to feel safe. And so I think it's added a whole different layer of what that looks like and and how we hear everyone's concern and then be that's that awareness all the time of, here's what I think I know, here's what I think I'm feeling and those around me, but it, it could change day-to-day, moment-to-moment, just given the state of the world. So I think it's a challenge to... I'll keep asking myself, what do we need to do? What do we need to build into the daily workflow of our organizations to do this work consistently? It can't just be a half hour every week. It's got to be I open every meeting. I attend every session. I every conversation I'm checking. Am I am I doing this? Am I present? Am I aware of this? Um, Am I getting it kind of the best that I can? Or am I saying I'm not in? place today and here's why or what so um, to me I would love to see us you know as a big focus now on on workplace and workforce well-being which is great and I, I do think if we partner Dare to Lead leadership skill training with mindfulness and and ways to regulate ourselves, whether that's breathing exercises or it's, you know, relaxation pods that are coming on the market or uh, you know, essential oils, whatever it is, along with leadership. And then I think the third piece is what I do which is ethics and compliance. Do we have clear kind of a roadmap that that meets the payers and the regulators and all these things? You know, these aren't all separate tasks. If we can integrate this work into just our daily flow. I think that's the ideal we have to figure out how to get to and it looks different for each organization or each leader executive team but I think if we spend the time to to name that then we just it's going to make it more possible to make it just part of our our planning and our evaluation every year do we mean our goals and this is one of our goals is our well-being of our workforce
0: Absolutely and you know and, and, and then that less than perfect thing too maybe to just tie this all up in a bow you know what can leaders do out there to uh nurture this right you know you you brought up hiking you know we love hiking here at peaks and you know both jason and i are, love being in the outdoors and those types of things but you know self-care and you know personal healing having self-compassion for you know oneself self-management of time right you know like you said take a moment out of the day to work on these dare to lead strategies and make time for that within the calendar um you know other concepts in the books like uh you know leaders are learners not knowers you know in that regard always striving to um you know uh grow in that regard and not just come in with this attitude like i figured the whole thing out and everybody just has to follow me as a result of that you know so without waxing the whole list you know maybe bring us home in that regard of just some of these strategies that you've developed for yourself as a leader and then what you're seeing that's positively working on behalf of other you know, uh, leadership teams within workforces uh, that people can take home to work on the fact that we're gonna be, to be vulnerable is to be imperfect and to acknowledge that and then through that, so we don't live like I did for almost a month in this level of fear around, you know, this thing that we're going through with some of the insurance side of things, um, you know, what can we do to get out of that rut, you know, more quickly um, and to build that foundation uh, for those hard landings.
1: Mm That's such a great question. I think the easy answer for me is just the awareness every day that this is hard work, right? Being a leader is hard every single day, being a parent, being a partner, life, this is hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and not to avoid that hardness. I think we kind of get through life sometimes and we sort of build our lives to avoid the hard pieces of it. If I look and act or dress or see a certain way that, you know, people won't know that I'm struggling. So I think if we can acknowledge the struggling is there and it's real and we should expect it, um, then we can build a workplace that, that helps that, that makes that better. But I do think it's gonna take some restructuring of, of time and effort and resources, you know, to, to say we're gonna have these self, the, the, we're gonna invest in leadership training, we're gonna invest in these spaces, the arena rooms where people can come and relax or whatever that might look like um, and making sure that we've got the compliance pieces, you know, in place. And then once you have that, then you have gratitude. I think we have to practice gratitude. That okay, as hard as it is today, was a good day. <laughs> I did most of my skills pretty good, and and everyone's okay, and people that I love and care for are okay. And to me, that daily gratitude practice keeps me like, you know, just comfortable that I didn't conquer the problems of the world today, but. I showed up, I, I did my job. <laughs> now in my doctoral program, I've got lots of extra work every day to be doing and reading and writing. And did um, I do enough of that today, right? That time management piece of it. Um, and then I think it's a matter of asking for help. You know, Who do I need to get help to or from that connection piece? You know, Part of this is built on courage, compassion, and connection from Brene's earlier work. And do we have the courage to do the work even though it's hard? Do we have the compassion for ourselves and others? And then who are we connecting with? And, and it's one thing to veg out in front of the TV or on social media, but really where is that connection coming from? We can't lose sight of that. We've got to practice that I think every day if we're gonna do it well.
0: Yeah, well stated, beautiful. Um, and I, I think I wanna, I'm gonna tie it in my own bow here to state that like, you know Jason, I think this is your shared experience as well too. You know, we, we did this training with you, oh, almost four years ago now. Um, yeah, almost four years ago now. And it kind of takes four years to, to really put these things in place. It's an incremental process of success. Uh, and as you grow and as you bring new people into the organization, new leaders into the organization, you're, you're trying to contain all these values and introductions right at the end of the day. We had to first start with vulnerability. It's kind of a step-by-step process. Then we were like, yeah, we actually gotta insert some of these values. We gotta have some glue to all of this to build that trust as a foundation. Okay, now that we got values, we can't stop talking about it. We have to continue forward in that braving aspect of things. Oh my God, terrible things are happening along the way, whether it's at the level of patient care, whether it's at administrative level, family systems, you know, whatever's going on. Uh, be, working in behavioral health, you know, the health and human services aspect of thing, it is, it, is, it is quite a challenge. And so these hard landings can almost happen at any given moment and almost in every single day. And so that's the time thing, right? There are things that get in the way of this, but that self-management standpoint and being consistent and taking the time within, you know, meetings, leadership operations or whatever, just to state, hey, I just wanna talk about maybe today, one core value because we haven't talked about it in a while. So let's do curiosity right now and just reimpregnate that into the organization uh, in that regard, and, and, and so for those out there, for as inspiring it is at times to listen to a powerful Brene Brown quote and be like, I got it, and I'm going for it. Um, she's talking about a process and systems that are you know, gonna have to be put in place for this to be successful, and to give yourself grace as a leader uh, in the process, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, and she says you got to embrace the suck. There's going to yeah. be days and sucky moments, and you've got to uh, figure out that even when it's tough, I I really I love catching myself when it's tough, knowing it's going to get better, and it's actually I'm going to be better and stronger for it, and better connected, and and just feel just more cared for all around when I when I embrace the work. But yeah, it's not always easy or fun.
0: Yeah, totally. Well. Maeve, thank you so much for joining us today and walking through these Dare to Lead strategies. And hopefully, for the viewers out there, I mean, even, you know, it, we, we work in, and live in such a hierarchical society, right? Where it's like, oh, these leaders are talking about how to lead us moving forward and, you know, getting all these books and resources and doing those things. But there's nothing about what we're talking about here that can't be lived by every single person within any given organization at the end of the day. Um, you know, if you're a clinician, not in a director role or whatever, you are leading patient care, right? If you are in a case management position, you are leading patient care, right? There's no reason that this has to just live at the level of leadership. And, uh, you know, I hope that, you know, more people pick up this book as well, too, because it's also a way to hold leaders accountable in the process of these live value systems. And so I think, This is really fundamental to anybody in any workforce environment and there's an incredible amount of takeaways that we can bring into our own personal lives as well to uh, to um, better empower and impact our personal relationships
1: yes thank you guys for doing this work and thanks for keeping it up
2: yeah absolutely i i I really appreciate your guidance and mentorship too, mave and um, i guess the bow i'd put on it is um, i would just say that uh culture uh, within an organization uh, is not a coincidence. Like it takes intentionality and work and vulnerability and openness and honesty and uh, being a mess, messy, uh, but committed and, uh, and diligent leadership leaders. And uh, yeah, so that I appreciate uh, you, your guidance on that process and journey.
1: Thank you guys very much. Yeah. I love you both. Have a wonderful.
2: Good to see you as always.
1: Work, work day and work month and keep it up. Please let me know how it goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it and continued success in both your personal life and professional life. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you on, on, on the next go around, whether it's at a conference or, you know, another episode like this, but always, always appreciative of your time and good to see you, Maeve. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. All right, everybody. And that's a wrap again, Brandon Burns, chief executive officer of Peaks recovery center. So grateful for Maeve and her time today. And of course my co-host. Jason Friesma, all things clinical, doing a wonderful job in supporting me today. Uh, don't forget to find us on the TikToks, the Facebooks, the social medias of all sorts. We got clips, views, education, all of the beautiful things that uh, you can check out on behalf of our industry. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, I think uh, I've missed it several times, but for those out there, I've got it right sized in my head, questions at findingpeaks.com. That's where you know, we get to hear your thoughts, ideas, insights into this, and these are where these episodes come from at the end of the day. so. Um, so grateful for you guys chiming in and letting us know how to, you know, bring these episodes forward. And until next time, so grateful to be here, and we'll see you soon.